This week, Last Christmas. Two heroic icons, the Doctor and Santa, along with Clara Oswald, are thrown together in one of the Time Lord's most incredible adventures yet. You're listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. We're a husband and wife team who just can't stop talking about all things Doctor Who. We're nerdy, opinionated, critical, sex positive, LGBTQIA friendly, and generally not fans of the Moffat era. Warning, naughty language, spoilers, and other adult content may be found within. Insert eye roll here. <laughs> That's what the BBC website lists as the, you know, information for this episode. That's oh. how they're mm-hmm. put it. Uh, you can watch it on iPlayer if you live in the if you live in yes. if you live in the BBC, you can right. listen to this on iPlayer. Well, hello and welcome to the 31st episode. Yes. Of this is episode 31. Oi, spaceman. A Doctor Who Love Story, a podcast between this crazy husband and wife, Whovian couple. Indeed. Daniel, say hi. Hi. And I and I'm Shayna. Um, he's letting me lead this episode today because I took a bunch of notes. Um, but he is going to continue to to prod me because he doesn't think that I'm uh, I'm leading the right way. I I'm just gonna sit here and I'm gonna talk when you want me to talk. Uh, um, technically, we've already recorded episodes 32 and 33, so yeah. uh, you will uh, get to listen to those. And if I weeks. say anything confusing, it's probably because I think I'm referring to an episode that hasn't actually aired yet. Yeah, don't worry. We're gonna, we're gonna fix that. We'll get so. there. The format of this episode is going to be a little bit different, um, because what I did was I went through and rewatched this Christmas episode a second time after I saw people talking online. Um, I My first watching of it, I was not very happy. Um, I will say my second watching really allowed me to kind of go through and look and say, there are moments of this Christmas special that I really like, actually. But they are immediately followed with some really problematic things for me. Um, so what I really want to do is, is just go through my notes in order as I took them, because I, I think it's important to kind of see part of the reason I had such a hard time with this episode is it's a roller coaster, um, without really any reason to be a roller coaster. Um, Except that it's, you know, a TV show and it's meant to be kind of, you know, ex- roller coastery. Well, and, and I get that. Um, but anyways, we'll start talking and, and maybe we can, uh, talk a little bit more about the roller coaster effect and maybe how it could have been done better, in my opinion. Well, um, before Um, we get into mm -hmm. the notes, would you like to just kind of give a general impression about, you know, how you feel about the episode or, uh, summarize just so that we're not, we don't lose the forest for the trees here? Yeah. So the, the, the big things that I, I realized is, is there's kind of three things going on in this episode, at least ideologically, like, the way I step to the plate as a writer mm-hmm. is one, it's the Christmas special. So you have to have certain elements that are Christmas specially. Um, the history of Doctor Who, we know Christmas specials, there's going to be something a bit self-aware. There's going to be something a little bit silly. And they are aware, um, you expect for the show to kind of have a little bit of, you know, Christmas magic. 
The and Christmas it. specials, I think, I tend to um, forgive a lot more the um, when they do go broader, when they mm-hmm. do go, because they know that there is a bigger audience watching yeah. for the Christmas specials. Um, people who are not necessarily going to, you know, want the, the minutiae that, that we get from mm-hmm. some of the other Doctor Who episodes. But, um, so I, I tend to cut them a, 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 quite a bit more slack. For well, and, and when I rewatched it, I was able to piece those elements out, and I, and I like them, um, and, uh... I always want to call him the other person. It's a great... <laughs> this one is Nick Frost. Nick, Nick Frost, Frost, damn Nick it. Nick Frost is Santa. Nick Frost plays Santa. Nick That's Frost awesome. plays Santa. I, I love Edgar Wright and Nick Frost. For some reason, I switch the two of their names all and the time. Actually, you're thinking of Simon Pegg and not Edgar Wright. No, I am thinking of Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, the director. Is the director. Yes. For some reason, okay. I, I confuse the names of the director of those movies and that actor. The, Anyways. The big, the big thing, I'm just really happy to see that now both Simon Pegg and Nick Frost have been on Doctor Who. Yes. So, you know. And and um, I, 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 before I say anything, and I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it in more detail. Nick Frost as the um, self-imagined kind of snarky Santa, I loved. I would, I would love to see. It's, it's funny, like how much I just don't want it to be in Doctor Who. Like I'm fine well, with. Like I want to yeah. watch a Stephen Moffat written movie mm-hmm. with Nick Frost as Santa Claus. I want that to be like. That would go alongside, like, Elf and, you know... It would be really funny. as, like, Christmas um, watching for me. But know? so, so you have... Okay, so that's the Christmas element of sure. it. Then you have... And I, I'm I'm rolling my eyes. Then we have the Dreamception bit of it. Yeah. Which... Moffatception. Moffatception. Dream Cab, Crabception. Um, which, you know, is what it is. And, and we'll talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me... The actual good parts, the heart of this story, um, isn't, you know, for me it's always, who are these people? Why is it this random group of people? Why are they brought together in this way? Mm-hmm. How are they learning about themselves? How are they challenging themselves? And what is what is the audience supposed to get out of that? Um, and that is literally the first question I wrote down on the page. Um, and I think we get an answer to that, but I'll get to it when we get there. Um... But because I also want to mention really quick uh, before we talk about the details, just I think the performances in this episode actually across the bar are really good. I, I would, I mean, this is for me, you know, just to kind mm-hmm. of give give a little 30 second discussion mm-hmm. of, of, I feel about this episode very much the way I feel about Series 8 as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the technical stuff. You know, the performances, the uh, set design, the lighting, the direction. This is going to be one of the first times I have an issue with some of the production staff, and I'm going to talk about it later. Sure, sure. But, but, yes. but I think this looks gorgeous. I think that, like, this, yes. is, this is exactly, like, this is really high caliber, especially mm-hmm. considering it was clearly made on Doctor Who's budget, which is still not a very large budget. Well, and I... Um, for me, it's all about, the, the things I don't like are the writing, but I think the performances mm-hmm. are great. I think that, you know... And I think that... Pretty much every other element, I appreciate it. If, if anything, Moffat's Christmas specials have a feeling of Christmas whimsy about them. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate that. 
Um, yeah, and that's not the part I don't like. Yeah, this. exactly. Yeah. And so what I what I really wanted to do because you know we've been joking that our show could be should be called the Moffat Hate Hour. I really wanted to go through and talk about because when I was going through it systematically and taking notes, I would take a note of like, "Ooh, this is a really good moment." Immediately followed with, "Ugh." Um, and so I want to talk about how basically Moffat I feel like undermines himself constantly, sure. and I think. Maybe the reason that a lot of people like him is they don't pay attention to when he undermines himself. They just to pay attention to the good moments. And I get that. Um, yeah, but so Im- immediately in the episode, we start with Clara waking up and she sees Santa and the elves on her roof. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for me, I-, I-, I had a lot of questions, but... <laughs> There was a bit of an uncomfortable tone at the beginning because Santa's there and he has his elves and the elves are later described as like the humorous support characters. I think they should be called the dicks. Like they are two little assholes who are like, oh, you really think your parents love you enough to put out presents for you once a year? Like, and let's remember, we know the story of Clara's parents. Right. You know, that is a dick move. And if... Again, knowing later on that she is in fact dreaming this, like is that that's a little fucked up. Oh yeah. So did you notice that one of the elves is played by Dan Starkey, who plays Drax? No. Oh, I did notice he was he was really familiar, but yeah, yeah no. now that makes sense. Yep. Um. Not the last bit of casting thing I'm going to throw into this yeah. episode. So yeah. No, there's lots of interesting in. casting things. Um. But the second I asked myself, why is she dreaming of Santa? Santa asks, uh, well, she says, basically, I don't believe in fairy tales anymore. And Santa's like, oh, really? And the doctor shows up. Mm-hmm. And I, I, again, we, we've talked about Moffat writing Doctor Who more as a fairy tale fantasy mm-hmm. show than a sci-fi show. Sure. Um... I think that this was a direct reference to that, but I also... Moffat Era Who is very explicitly a fairy tale. Like, beginning with mm-hmm. Amy Pond floating outside the TARDIS in her second episode, yeah. with, you know, doing an, an explicit, you know, Alice in Wonderland kind of... And I'm uh, fine with that. I, yeah. I think that the part that, that gets me is... If this is a fairy tale, if this doctor is still her fairy tale, mm-hmm. what fucking fairy tale is it? Because he's mean to her, like he's... it's the old grim fairy tales, which were fairly grim, you know. But it just to to continue to describe their relationship as the Doctor is saving Clara mm-hmm. is hard when he is really mean to her a lot of the time. Right, um, and, and we we recently we've been talking a lot about the first Doctor. Yeah, and a lot of people will make comparisons between oh. Capaldi's just doing, like, the same thing the first Doctor did, and, you know... (laughs) He's really not. When you go back and watch the first Doctor, as we will in the next few episodes... Well, some of those have already aired, but we spent spent a lot of time talking about the Daleks' Master Plan, which Uh will be two episodes from now you'll get to listen to us talk about the Daleks' Master Plan for almost two hours. That Doctor, he is critical, but he's not mean. Right. And I think that there is a big difference. And I think that, uh, I don't, I don't know that Moffat gets that. And the first doctor is still a hero. Yeah. Like, like you, you, he is saving people. He is saving the world. He is fighting against evil. 
very explicitly yeah. in a way that, you know, ultimately, kind of where I landed, I'm getting, getting jumping ahead a little bit, but mm-hmm. when Nick Frost shows up as Santa, and Santa's the one saving people, like, why are they giving Santa Claus the doctor mm-hmm. role? Like, well, and, you know, um, for me... And then they explicitly reference that in the episode. Yeah. So I'm like, what are you doing? And, like, the first, and the first thing that Santa says is, you'll be glad of my help. That's the first thing he says to the doctor. And... I'm questioning this on many levels. On one level, of course, Santa has to be the hero of this episode because it's the Christmas special. Right. I'm fine with that. That would it would be better if Santa was um if it was Santa and then his elves could have been a little bit less dickish. Um cuz Santa Santa like, I mean, it was a very Nick Frost role. Um right. you know, kind of punchy but not mean. Um Looking back at this from having seen the episode now twice, though, mm-hmm. Sarah, I mean Sarah. <laughs> Clara? No, Santa, Santa is who Clara. <laughs> You've been talking too much about Sarah Kingdom, that's it. <laughs> yeah, Santa is ostensibly, from the beginning, who Clara mm-hmm. has dreamed up to be the uh sedative essentially yeah the the uh the, the morphine the, the morphine yeah so the opiate. clara dreams santa mm-hmm. and if you look at it that way and, and that's uh, that is the only way we can look at it based on like how this gets explained later on mm-hmm. both santa and later danny pink are clara yes and danny pink gets dressed as santa in his yes you know in this bit but so we literally have Clara, the only agency agency she really has in this episode is through men that she has dreamed up to protect her. So here's the really big issue I have with this episode. Sure. Not just that. So take that aside. We don't know that yet. Right. She immediately falls back in love with the TARDIS. She mm-hmm. steps in and it's like, and the doctor's like, well, you better believe in Santa. And she's like, I do. And it's, she's falling back in love with the TARDIS, but with the doctor, with traveling, sure. with the no, with the sound of it, with the feeling of it. Um, so already I'm like, eh, this feels a little like, she literally says like, I thought I was never going to see you again. Oh, I forgot how much I loved this place. Um, and I'm not entirely sure at this point if we're supposed to think that she has lived 62 years. We'll get back to that later. Mm-hmm. But anyways, then we flip to the North Pole science base. Mm-hmm. And we meet these four scientists. Mm-hmm. Who... Three of them are women. Who I, I think that's yeah. really important that yes. th- there are more women than men in this episode. Which, which... I mean, it, that I am extremely thankful for. We have three really dynamic female characters. Yeah, this definitely passes the Bechdel test. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, I think that that's what makes my issues with Clara even worse, is you have these other female characters that are written really interesting. And um, the way that they get developed. And the, the first time we see, I, I don't remember her name. I think I called her Blondie. Shona. Shona or something like that. Yeah. Shona. She is Shana. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, she's like has such a clear personality. They they feel like fully fledged characters mm-hmm. from the from the get go. Um and you get the dudes sitting there eating a turkey leg through most of the first half. Well, of the and uh, what feels and and this is actually what starts feeling hard for me is they very quickly start like being shoved into kind of stereotypes. Um and <sighs> the first thing they do is make a sexual harassment joke. 
Like, oh, weren't you paying attention? No, well, his hand was on my knee. And he's like, oh, it was for comfort. And the woman's like, who's comfort? Um, so it, it was kind of awkward because it's it's not victim blaming. It's not fully making light of it. But it's like, okay, so we're supposed to dislike this guy, I guess. Well, interestingly, this is uh, an actor. Uh, this is Patrick Troughton's son, one of yes. his two sons. Uh, who has been an actor here and there. Um, I was looking him up on Wikipedia. Yeah. He actually has a degree in physics as well. So, oh, that's you cool. Know, um, cool. Random uh, side. Just side, side note. But uh, I don't know if we're supposed to, again, like, I, I want to recognize, like, that there is a cultural difference between American watchers and British watchers and maybe even seeing him in that role, ha- like... Right. Well, and this is kind of a base under siege, which is a very mm-hmm. second doctor kind of thing. I mean, there's a definite mm-hmm. second doctor vibe to a lot of this, Yeah. you know? Um, um, now I kind of want to see Patrick Troughton in a uh, red suit. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so that big fur coat he wears and what is it, yeah. the five doctors, I think. Yeah. Know, like. um, but so, I mean, they're, they're like, the sexual harassment in the workplace joke, like, kind of bothered me at first. But going back, I'm like, no, it's character development. And she, the blonde girl does the funny dance and everybody's mm-hmm. responding to it, but it's working. And like... At that point, I'm like, okay, this is this is kind of good. And then um, the doctor comes in and basically says, oh, I understand how this works. They're telepathic. They can hone in on their own images in someone else's brain. And then they wake up when they can see the image of themselves in someone else's brain. Um, so it's like, okay, that's your explanation. Sure sounds a hell of a lot like several other villains that Moffat... I'm starting to wonder if, monsters. like, the overall arc of the Moffat era is going to be, like, we're going to find out that there's some, uh, Tele- psychic, telepathic, like... Something. ...overmind thing, of which all of these individual, you know, like, whatever the critter was in Listen, if we think yeah. there was something in Listen. Yeah. And, uh, the Weeping Angels and the Silence and all that were just... Like manifestations of that, and that we really were fighting one big enemy the whole time. The like, great intelligence. If it's the great intelligence, I'm just gonna scream. Probably is. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I mean, that would be retconning. That would be Moffat retconning himself and just being like, "That's why it was so similar." You see, because they were yeah. really fighting the whole thing. And he never does that. No, he, he uh, never. You know. So okay, so like for me, great. This is how they work. I'm willing to accept that. The first thing that happens after that. They start thinking about them, they wake up, and then, like, a hundred fucking hand crab dream things fall from the ceiling. Sure. Who woke them up? Yes. So. (laughs) You know, you know. um... So you have a moment, and this is what I want to say, like, this is how Moffat is constantly undercutting himself for me. He has one point where he says, here's the explanation for those characters, and then immediately after he says, and here is something that does not quite make sense with that. Well, I'm I'm willing to forgive a little bit of that in this episode just because we do kind of later find find out everything is working by dream logic. Yes. And, you know, I think Moffat writes by dream logic and, and yes. I don't even think that's necessarily a bad thing of saying like and then these things come out of the, the ceiling because that would be a terrifying thing to happen and we're writing based on like what would be terrifying. I think it's not effective because it doesn't make sense. Exactly. And you know, even to, to set up a rule and then to immediately violate those rules. Yes. Without noting it. Right. You know, they could have, you know, and yes, I'm showing my bias here. 
in my mind, if it was a Tenant episode, mm-hmm. he would have immediately, because there are lots of notes like this in Tenant episodes, he would have immediately been like, huh, that's kind of weird. Or he would have looked back. Well, the, you would have seen him acknowledge it. The way that, like, for instance, uh, and, and again, not to say one is necessarily better than the other, mm-hmm. I think we prefer the way that Russell T. Davies and Jay Gardner kind of ran the series, where the Doctor would show up in a situation, would kind of figure out what was going on, and then mm-hmm. the rest of the episode was kind of about this process of, okay, now that we know what's going mm-hmm. on, then the plot continues to progress, as opposed to Moffat is much more interested in writing episodes where the point is to develop a mood mm-hmm. and to make the Doctor and his companions figure it out, and then the process of figuring it out is mm-hmm. the process of... The problem with that is that the situation they're in is, you know, you have to avoid really obvious things like, oh, there are four bodies and there are four manuals and there are four people and, you know, um, the head crab thing doesn't make any sense or dreams within dreams. How do we know we're not still dreaming? Mm -hmm. Like, the the characters have to be more stupid than we are as an audience. Exactly. And when you have a character like the Doctor who is supposed to be way ahead of all of us all Genius. the time. You know? Mm-hmm. When the whole point of that character, it makes him very... You can't write him as being an effective hero and leader because there's no way of writing him as dumber than us and also effective. Which is really unfortunate because the next bit with Santa, like, as I was kind of taking notes on it and taking the quotes down that I like, this whole structure, the idea that there is a monster that lets you believe you are fixing the problem Mm -hmm. as a way to make you feel better, to Mm -hmm. distract you. I love that idea. It's a classic idea. It's interesting. And using that as a way to make a Santa Claus episode, I think is great. It's... I I, I absolutely agree. I think that, I mean, that... the the, Santa Claus is deployed here about as well as you can imagine Santa Claus being deployed in a uh, Doctor Who episode. And, you know... The decision to deploy Santa Claus is your own decision, but... You know, I think like and we get some fun, like really great witty lines. And I mean, you know, maybe maybe some of this was ad lib even because of Nick Frost um, and the blonde girl who you said her the I forget. I don't know the actress's name, but the character is Shona. Shona. Shona, who is clearly (laughs) Shana can't keep that. I don't don't remember names. Well, Um, and her name is Shona. Yeah, which is going to be way too close to mine. But there's at one point where Santa and Shona is, is basically interrogating Santa and I have it noted later. The doctor like says, well, that's not you. You don't seem much like a scientist. Well, fuck you. She is the only one interrogating Santa, which is exactly what a scientist would do. Like, and why don't you look much like a scientist? Because you're a young girl. Who's kind of goofy and quirky. Excuse uh, me. I work Every in a lab. single fucking scientist I know is a quirky, goofy chick like that. I work in a lab. Yeah. I can tell you she would fit right in. in the lab Absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, and I, I think Muffet does doesn't know what a scientist looks like. <laughs> yeah, that's clear. Um, but I think what's so funny, and and I, I I wish this had been more of the episode, because that part felt like a Christmas special. That part felt funny. That part, like, she's sitting here interrogating him, and at one point he turns around and is like, I got three words. My little pony. And she gets all mad, and he taunts her a little more, and then she holds up her hands and she says... I will mark you, Santa. And <laughs> and it's funny and it's cute. Um and 
I can let go of all the silly stuff Mm -hmm. if you're genuinely making me laugh. If you're having these character moments. Um, And it's really shortly thereafter followed up by this moment between um, the boss scientist, the the black girl Mm -hmm. scientist. I forget. I don't know her name. I'm sorry. Um, Yeah. Uh, I think he refers to her as like the bossy one at one point. Right. Um, where she looks at the doctor and says, is it possible I'm about to work with someone who might be a dream? And the doctor says, if it helps, so am I. <laughs> right. And which is which is a very doctory, com- not companiony, but a very doctory like thing to do. Like that's a very like, well, we're both about to work with someone who might be a dream. We both accept that fact, and we're going to move forward. Like yeah. that feels very Doctor Who to me. Like, it feels you know, so Doctor Who and so sciency, for lack of a better word. Um, well, it's it's people who are used to dealing with abstractions. Which, yes. Scientists, you know, not to speak, you know, out of, but scientists are trained to think in terms of, okay, let's accept this thing as possibly true, and then working off of that. This is how scientists would talk to each other. Yes, it's the the spherical... The spherical cow. (laughs) The spherical cow joke. Yes. um, Which Daniel will include in the notes, so we don't have to talk about it here. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But, so you have this moment where I'm genuinely like... I like this character. I really like the scientists. The, I like all, all the all of characters them. in this, honestly. Um, and, and I mean, the only unlikable one is the guy, and they specifically make him do some unlikable things, which I, I'm going to mention again later. But that moment... I think that Natalie is the uh, scientist you were talking about. Okay. Natalie. I'm or sorry. maybe Maureen. I don't know Or maybe Maureen. Which, but anyway. Um, that is immediately followed with this moment that... Really fucking pisses me off. Mm-hmm. Um, where it, it's the, for lack of a better word, the Danny is dead moment, where Clara has to look at the doctor and say he's dead, mm-hmm. and he essentially says, "Well, you said he lived, and that's why I left. Well, I said he lived so that you could go to Gallifrey. Well, I only said that Gallifrey existed was so you would stay with Danny, and you have like this kind of bullshit gift of the Magi moment. Yeah, the Tardis of the Magi. Yeah, Tardis of the Magi. Um, where we are, so, I don't know. I mean, taking, I mean, honestly, the idea, mm-hmm. and this is where I'm, I'm really trying to be as positive as I can on this, yeah. and to really kind of focus on the positive, just because... But to spend 30 seconds on it. Well, to spend 30 <laughs> seconds on that, and to spend 30 minutes on the, um, kind of hipster Santa Claus that we get here, you know, um, to, you know, the idea of saying that these two individuals cared about each other enough to be self-sacrificing in that way together, there's a reason that, that the O. Henry story mm-hmm. is still read and that is still, the, the play is mm-hmm. still performed. I mean, I was in a production of O. Henry when I was like nine years old, actually, of, of The Gift of the Magi, yeah. you know, um, you know, so I know, I actually know that play quite well, ironically, mm-hmm. but, um, there's a reason that that trope is still used is because it is really powerful the problem mm-hmm. is that we're a we're approaching it we're not really taking it seriously which is kind of the mm-hmm. same thing that we saw at the beginning of series seven with the divorce that amy and rory had you know where it's resolved in eight seconds with no like well you know. and and so this is how this is how i feel moffat thinks he addresses it mm-hmm. so they're talking about the dream state and everything and the doctor looks at Cl- clara and says interrogate everything Mm -hmm. and she says in case it's a lie Mm -hmm. and he looks back at her and he he repeats it in case it's a lie after 
having the moment where we lied to each other to because we believed we were doing the best for each other, mm-hmm. for him to then say, well, question everything in case it's a lie. There's so much interesting there. Oh, yeah. There's so much emotion. And the fact that it gets only that much time is what makes me get so pissed off at Moffat. Because he just kind of is like, that's enough. We've dealt you know, with that now. It's over. Um, it makes me feel like Moffat has never really lost someone close to him. Well, it's like there, there's this depth of emotion that just gets kind of waved away with a like a magic wand. Um, well, you when you're writing this sort of thing, mm-hmm. you either have to deal with it. Like, like, why is it here if you're not going to deal with it? It's kind of the you yeah. Know, and I understand that Doctor Who is made for a lot of different audiences, and that having mm-hmm. um trying to kind of please the kids who are going to tune in and watch mm-hmm. this and their parents and, you know, people like us who are going to be obsessive and podcast about it and all that sort of thing is a difficult thing to do. I, I am in Absolutely. no... Um, but you don't then, because this is then immediately followed up with the you don't look like a scientist joke mm-hmm. and then a Santa... A, the Santa is a Time Lord joke because his bag is bigger on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, both of which... One, that you don't seem like a scientist is just outright offensive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And the Santa is a Time Lord joke, while funny, is actually important information that should have been, <laughs> like, addressed. Like, at this point is when the doctor should have been saying, like, okay, I need to know more about Santa. Because well, if Santa is a Time Lord or has Time Lord abilities, you know. It's hard not to think about this in terms of, like, you know, the way David Tennant would have dealt with this. Mm-hmm. Where, if you remember the episode where Rose leaves, and there's mm-hmm. the whole thing where you see him through that whole episode playing with the 3D goggle, 3D glasses yes. thing. And you see him kind of, like, looking at stuff, and he's kind of reasoning stuff in his head, and he's not really saying what and he's And he thinking. looks like an idiot, because and, he keeps he, looking at everything with 3D at, glasses. At first, at first, you're looking at it and just thinking, oh, it's David Tennant being goofy David Tennant, and mm-hmm. then at the end, you realize, no, and, like, if you go back and piece through that, you realize this, he was working this out at that time and mm-hmm. he was solving this problem mm-hmm. but he didn't want to say anything until he like knew until he like knew until he because he's trying to fight this you mm-hmm. know he's trying to fight the daleks and the cybermen at that point if we got the idea that peter capaldi had worked out exactly what santa was mm-hmm. at the beginning which i think is kind of what we're supposed to you know if you mm-hmm. get the sense that like capaldi figured it out but he had to let the other people figure it out in order like <sighs> if he then the way he treats Santa here is just kind of this thing that, okay, this is this, you know, obviously nothing around us is real because Santa Claus is standing four feet away. This but he doesn't real. do that. But he, he doesn't do that. You know? He goes back and forth between the, well, maybe Santa Claus is real. Um, and, you know, again, I'm fine with that. That's part of Doctor Who, but it doesn't make sense in this episode. You know what I thought would be a really interesting way for this to end? Hmm. Um, if it turned out that Clara had saved everyone and that the manifestation of the Doctor was her Santa Claus. Like, mm-hmm. if Santa Claus had been generated by the other people, but yeah. hers was, was the Doctor. And then you ended and up with... And that could have been interesting. And they, she wakes up. And, I mean, they make that illusion without letting it actually happen. And I think that that's a lot of my issue with Moffat's writing. Is he, he alludes to better writing. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, I could tell this story, but I'm going to do this instead. Right. Um... Anyways, would I want you, to keep moving would you on. Would like to talk a little bit about the Danny Pink uh, segment of this? 
I'm going to get to Danny. I'm not there yet. Okay. I, as I said, I'm literally going through the notes as I was taking them. All right. So we we just have them talk about... Um, about what percentage are you through your notes at this point? we got to move quicker. Yeah. Do you, do you want to guess how long we've been talking? How long this episode is so far? Oh, shit. Is it already at 30? It is. Damn it. Okay, so I'm going to move through quicker. Um, oh, we're having a good conversation. We're having a I good think conversation. we're covering stuff that you were going to talk about later. Um, let's so go through your notes. Then we just... And then I, I have written down, then they fucking watch a video of it. After they just said, if you think of it, you will see it. They watch a fucking video of it. This is so they at are... the beginning. They're watching a video of the... No, this is... I mean, this is where it happens in the episode. They said this is where we first found them. Right. They watch a video of discovering these things and right. waking them oh, up. I see, I see. So then they're thinking about these things. And and the doctor's like, oh, yes, the legend of the dream crab, where, you know, it, you wake it by thinking... It was just like, you guys are talking about what you are supposed to not be... Like, it is well, the stupidest how thing. How can you, like, plan to send someone in? At the beginning, they're sending Shona in mm-hmm. to, like, do something in that room. Mm-hmm. And she dances. And the whole point is, like, oh, look at her. Don't let her think yeah, about don't it. Don't let her think yeah. about it. Okay, that's fine. But how did you plan this procedure without uh-huh. thinking about the head crabs? And so aren't they always awake? Yeah. Like... I mean, there's so much that doesn't make sense. And then it would be fine if they, like, didn't address it so much but it, well, like they do or if there was like some proximity like okay mm-hmm. the the steel door is like thick enough that the mind waves can't get through or something like that it only matters if you're mm-hmm. in near proximity to one you know which i kind of so i'm already like god these these things don't make sense and they look like face huggers and then they make a face huggers joke I was thinking about, uh, what was the video game? The, um, oh, God, Half-Life. You know, the, the face crabs in Half-Life. Yeah. So an alien, honestly, but, you know. Sure. But, you know. It's the same, it's the same yeah. type, you know. And the the one guy that we're supposed to not like, Trouton Jr., um, yes, folks, I'm, I'm doing that again. Uh, Trouton Jr. is, is sitting there eating. And so. Eating a turkey bag. Like what bothers bag. me is. Yes, we have three incredibly competent, good female characters. Moffat's idea of then writing competent female characters is to make the male character the one who's unlikable, who sexually harasses them, and is shown eating the whole time and being a sloppy bastard. The only way that you can have competent women in a story is if the men are ridiculous. That's what Mm -hmm. feminism means, don't you understand, Shana? And he has to be lazy and and fat and eating the whole time. Like, so that, that was problematic. Then we get... I thought he was quite funny, at least. So, I mean, it, uh, he was funny, but, you know, again, it's like taking a step back from it. It's funny, it's funny, but, like, God, Moffat, why is this the joke you're choosing to make? Uh-huh. And then we get, and, and I, uh, again, I want to say, a moment of just amazing acting from Clara as she thinks she's about to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and in what she believes to be her last moments, she apologizes to Danny for dying because... She, um, had promised to him that she would live. Shanna's tearing up just a little bit here. Uh, this, this is, Shanna actually cried during watching the episode. And this is something I definitely did want to make sure we covered. Not because I want to torment the person that I love the most in the world. But because, you know, the, the reason that we are critical of a lot of this is not because we think it's clever or it's fun. We're not haters for the sake of just hating on this thing that we purport to love. 
It's because we want this to be something more. And when it's actively painful to people to watch the way that some of these issues are not handled properly, um, I think that that's, an, that's a voice that fandom needs to hear, is that the way so, that this is handled is actively yeah. hurtful to, to a lot of people. We and see sorry, her, baby, yeah. Sure. No, we see her just essentially just begging for forgiveness for Danny, from Danny, mm-hmm. for not being able to make it. Mm-hmm. Which is, hello, Survivor's Guild. Oh, yeah. And then she immediately gets to spend Christmas with him. Mm-hmm. And... So, if you are someone who believes in an afterlife, this can be kind I can see how this could be hopeful. This idea that, like, you know, this dream state is like a heaven for her. She kind of gets to see what heaven is like. Um, But especially if you don't, or if you have lost someone, um, or if you're a fan of Buffy, and, you know, you've talked about characters who die coming back to life and and the effects of that... um, it, it it's cr- it's cruel. It it is very cruel to have Clara subjected to this mm-hmm. um, as a writer to do this to your characters without some kind of purpose. Um, well, being cruel to your creations is one of those like and, writing things, and, and it's okay. But the way you do it is yeah. you're cruel to reveal character or to really put you know. You so again, the po- the doctor's put into a place where he has to be self sacrificing and put this alien on his face so that he can be in her dream with her, and he has to convince her that Danny is you know again this anesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but this anesthetic then says things to the doctor that Clara couldn't say. And so again, we have this second moment where um, Clara has bottled up emotions toward the doctor. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying them, Danny says them for her. Um, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but, it, it you know, it, well, it doesn't even matter at that point. To me, the whole, like... This should have been the center of the episode. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of come back to I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about classic because, science fiction yeah. because These of are classic this had, science fiction yeah. ideas. And if this had been the center of the episode, all the stuff that he blew off mm-hmm. suddenly matters. If the idea was Clara has to make the decision as to whether you get to be with this fake version of Danny, uh-huh. which is killing you, but it feels better than the real world does, right? Or you can go back to the real world. And Clara has to make that decision. That's an old science fiction idea. Uh But that is a really powerful idea. It's very powerful. And I think the reason that it feels so cheap and cruel to me is that the way Moffat writes it makes light of it. It doesn't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And instead, we have a scene where Danny has to give Clara permission to get over him. And Danny essentially says, live for me. Because every Christmas could be the last Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that idea in and of itself is not necessarily bad. It's, you know, fuck, it's Carpe Diem. Um, Carpe Anum, technically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seize the year. Seize the year. Um, Go Latin. But, you know, like, again, if you dig deep into it, it's... Clara having survivor's guilt, feeling like she needs to create a manifestation of Danny to tell her it's okay to move on with her life. Um, and it happens so quickly, and it happens kind of smugly, to be quite honest. Um, so that when they wake up into what is not actually waking up, the doctor 
looks at Clara and says, are you okay? She says, no. And he says, good. There's some, there's some, something you should, we should never be okay about. And I would be great with that if this doctor actually lived by that. And he doesn't. Um, so, so I'm, I'm going to leave this and I'm going to move on and keep going through my notes because these ideas will come back. This is important. And this, this is important, but we're going to come back to it in, in other ways. Um, so we move on. He has the book test, which I think is actually the first time we see some real science because it doesn't work the first time, but they do it a second time. Uh, well, so, it works, but they don't. They're not convinced. Yeah. Know? So there's there's some science there. Well, there's some using your brain to solve problems, which yeah. is such a not a part of Moffat Who, but you <laughs> it know, was surprising like, should be should be something that's in every episode. But like, yes, let's all read from the same book, and we should. Well, and so the doctor finally is like, dude, Santa's not real. And Santa shows up and he's like, dude, obviously I'm not real. Um, And I forget who says it, but they say, you're a dream who's trying to save us. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm Santa. You've just defined me. Mm -hmm. That idea... I loved if that had been kind of like the ending point of the episode or kind of like the the narrative core of this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, again, Christmas special. I, I get that. I like well, that. Us all coming together and to face the darkness together. Yeah. I and, have a dream that's trying to save you. And it's the fun. And <laughs> I wrote down, I like the self-awareness of Santa saying, it's a fucking Christmas special. I'm here to save you. Mm-hmm. Like, why not? Like, if you're going to have this kind of Santa and this episode... That's a whole page of notes down, Rico. I know. Uh, but so... And this is where it starts getting really annoying. And if you've ever been in any writing workshop ever, one of the first rules you get, other than don't write drama, which is a bad rule to have in workshops, um, but other than that is the worst way to end a story is... And then they all wake up. So Moffat, yeah. Moffat must have took, taken that class because he thought, okay, so instead of having them wake up once, I'm going to have them wake up about five times. And so this is really when I was like, but they're still dreaming because dreamception. Um, Moffception. And, yeah, Moffception, anything. So then there's this great performance from Capaldi with a big Agatha Christie ending where he gets everybody together. And, of course, the only unlikable character dies before they can leave because, mm. you know, oh, look, there is a death that has consequences in this episode, but it doesn't matter because we've spent time... The, the two lines he's gotten have shown that he's kind of a creeper and he eats too much. Yeah. Um... So then it's suddenly we know we're dreaming so we can control our our freeing metaphor, Santa. Um, and so it's like, yay, cute Christmas special. And it's the only reason I like this quote, because otherwise I would have hated it. Clara on Santa's sleigh says, I've always believed in Santa Claus, but he looks a bit different to me and hugs the doctor. Now, taken out of this episode, I think that is a great, line for every Doctor Who fan. Mm-hmm. Like, I do believe in Santa Claus, in a way. I believe in the Doctor. And, you know, that idea of who is your metaphor for hope? Who is your metaphor for who's going to, you know, who do I dream to and write to and wish to? Like, Santa, bring me something. It's mm-hmm. the Doctor. I totally liked that. In this situation, it, it feels it, off. It, the it, tone just isn't it, right. 
my my thought in that moment is like it feels infantilizing. Yes. Um, and not in a kind of comforting, happy way. It feels like you know a little disturbing. The, the writing not taking mm-hmm. Clara seriously and not taking her kind of adult grief. Yeah. And her adult responses seriously. Yeah. Um, I feel like that there are ways of approaching that idea that feel a lot more authentic authentic adult you know that that feel Mm -hmm. more respectful of the person you know Mm -hmm. that like you know unless like i need a security blanket to save me and you can say this in a way that because i know in the uh, like i i every once in a while i just feel like moffat saying and this line's for the kids Mm -hmm. you can say this in a way that adults appreciate and kids appreciate too the metaphor that i will continue to use Mm -hmm. is pixar Mm-hmm. Um, Pixar makes amazing, by and large, not mm-hmm. you know, but they make amazing family entertainment that mm-hmm. is both kind of bright and shiny for kids, but that gets at real emotional core truths. Right, and that by and large feels like it pleases everybody. And to com- to say Doctor Who has to put out thirteen episodes a year mm-hmm. that are of the caliber of a Pixar movie, which comes out every couple of years, mm-hmm. might seem a little unfair. But it is possible to do this, you know. Yes, and the, to to yeah. continue with the CG animated movie, you know, most of Moffat who feels a lot more like the DreamWorks animation stuff, except mm-hmm. for How to Train Your Dragon, which is really good. Mm-hmm. But the you know where what we're going to do is we're going to do kind of goofy adult humor. We're going mm-hmm. to make dick jokes essentially, and we're mm-hmm. not going to call them dick jokes. And then we're going to have bright and shiny things for the kids to watch, and mm-hmm. they're forgettable, and you lose it immediately. Mm-hmm. For me, I want there to be a center, a core, a heart. I want there to be something that I take with me, because I am a 34-year-old man, and I find Doctor Who inspiring mm-hmm. in my day-to-day life. Yeah. And the reason that I find it inspiring is because it speaks of those universal messages. And mm-hmm. Of course, the Doctor is not a real character, yeah. but the idea that we have this fictional thing that we can believe in and who can give us hope like santa claus like that is perfect christmas special absolutely you know i'm not christian i don't celebrate christmas i never have i have never for one second in my life believed santa claus was real because he didn't come to my house. <laughs> but, that, that's why you hate uh, America and apple pies and good things. Yeah, fuck, fuck all that shit. But um, <laughs> but I can appreciate the the spirit of Christmas. And I mean, like, let's be honest. There's at one point where they talk about like, what's Christmas all about? It's about Santa. And I'm like, wow, they just completely avoided talking about Christianity at all. It's interesting. Like, there is no mention of, like, the Christian roots of Christmas, and they well, keep talking about it. And there's no mention of, like, I mean, Santa Claus is the guy who comes and brings you presents. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I mean, the, the spirit of giving, mm-hmm. the spirit of uh, coming together mm-hmm. and throwing a party or whatever uh, on the darkest night of the year is is a powerful one, mm-hmm. but the idea of, like, directly equating Santa Claus with the Doctor mm-hmm. feels a little off to me, unless you're making a very specific kind of Santa Claus. Exactly. And I don't think that they really manage that either. No. Um, um, and so, and it could have ended there. There are the, lots of places it could have just ended. Yeah, and, and I still would have been, I would have been relatively okay with it. And then I have this big question. Am I supposed to feel bad for their real lives? You mean after they... The after first they... woman who wakes up, who mm-hmm. has been described as the older, older, albeit the sexy one. The Doctor does call her the sexy one. Uh-huh, even so... though he says, 
you know, what's the sexy one doing, especially at your age, which is, you know, whatever. But so she wakes up and she's disabled. She's in a wheelchair. But her her daughter, granddaughter, yeah. some the, a child comes out and says, "Hey, dinner's ready." And she she's says like, "Graham, I think so." Like, you know? "Oh, I I must have fallen asleep for a second. But everything else, beautiful house, family, she's just kind of hanging out next to a window. She's, you know, the the impression that I'm supposed to get is she's a grandmother, she's an old lady. She went and she wheeled herself next to the window to get some sun and fell asleep while we book or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of fan reaction I've seen has been very concerned trolly and very like, oh, she woke up and was in a wheelchair. That's awful. And so I do. I, I wonder why is that important? So I, I don't know. Like, I... I'm a little, I'm a little confused at what Moffat was trying to say about disability there. Um, I think it's a positive thing it, to have a character who is, um, even if we are revealed later that she has a disability, mm-hmm. and to make that just kind of part of her character. I think that it's good for visibility. Mm-hmm. I wish that she had it just did, kind of been in a wheelchair the whole episode. I yeah. think that would have been better. It becomes this odd defining trait, which. Right. Disability should never be how you define a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. The second girl we get, she's like a perfume manufacturer, which to well, take a, a woman of, scientist who's on top of it. All of the badass female scientists in the Arctic base then end up being like very much more traditional female roles in their uh-huh. real lives, quote unquote. You know, so they can only be awesome badass heroes in their dreams right um but so then the second and they all have very gendered like yeah the second girl she sells perfume company, you know? and she wakes up and she's got huge hair and she's like in satin uh pajamas and she like but she's still she's portrayed as kind of being rich and alone mm-hmm. and then we get to the third girl who looks poor and messy mm-hmm. and alone um and who has forgiveness on her kind of Christmas itinerary to do this? Forgive Dave. Dave, yeah. and then she she crosses it off. So I don't know if we're supposed to think that's some kind of character growth or what. Like, like apparently, being in this dream state has given her the ability to forgive Dave for whatever he did. I so, like to think it's Dave Lister. I, I want to, you know, like I I want to think that really, you know, sure, Dave Lister is going to come somehow come down from space and you know, like they'd be a good match. They, uh, wouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, young Dave Lister though, like yes. from the eighties. So there's there's this just odd moment where I'm like, I'm not entirely sure how I'm supposed to feel about that, but whatever, we don't stick with it long. But then we have Clara, who doesn't want to wake up. Mm-hmm. At this point in the episode, Clara not wanting to wake up is a big deal. Clara is suicidal. She takes that message every Christmas is last Christmas. And, like, is saying, all right, I'm going to live this like it's my last because maybe I want it to be. And... Well, you know, and we... the Now that you mentioned that, the addiction metaphor that we've kind of dealt with all of Series 8, mm-hmm. which I never thought really made sense, but, you know... No. The addiction metaphor, you know, if we're kind of saying that the dream state and the head crab is mm-hmm. a anesthetic, yeah. I mean, she's literally, like, hugging that morphine needle. Like, that's what she's doing yeah. in this moment. Um, and she lacks the strength to um, save herself. And it's kind of the, the lesson that we're learning about her. And not just that, because then the doctor makes her wake up. Mm-hmm. 
And twice, actually. Twice. We have this bit where he's been out for 62 years, so she's older, but she seems happy, but she never married. Um, and he asks, oh, you never got over Danny then? And she says, no, it wouldn't have worked out with Danny. It would have been impossible. And so there's, like, constantly this kind of, like, reference to this impossible girl thing, I think. Well, I think um, what's... But this is... The, she's the, referring to the doctor at that point. Yes. Like, Danny was gone, but yeah. it wasn't that no other man could compare to Danny. It's that no other man could compare to the doctor. And so then we find out this is still the doctor's dream. Right. Because he's still asleep. Well, it's but still like it's his dream, dream, but hers, her dream too. And I'm, why, why is this the dream that they end up having together? You know what I mean? You know, going back to like somebody like Rose, where yeah. Rose was like, "I want to live with the Doctor forever. Yeah. I will never leave the Doctor." And like that idea that like Clara is just like, the, you know, I, you know, as Doctor Who fans, we're kind of like, mm-hmm. "I'm going to be watching Doctor Who in fifty years," you know, like. um... But I don't, There, it just, it feels like a hollow gesture mm-hmm. to show yet again that the doctor has an unhealthy attachment to Clara well, and right. treats her like shit and she has an unhealthy attachment to him and self-sacrifices for him Um, and, and they don't resolve it. Well, and it's very, I mean... It's hard not to think because there was all this speculation. I mean, I thought Claro had, like, announced she was, or Jenna Coleman had announced she was leaving. Yeah. Apparently, like, there were, it was kind of rumors kind of going back and forth. And then you basically get two endings here. One where Clara has aged and Clara, and honestly, that's not a bad standoff for Clara. Like, the doctor just came back too late. She's too old to continue traveling. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, she seems very frail at that point. Well, and she you get a to... mirrored moment where, from time of the doctor, where the doctor had aged a lot and they do the popper together. And yeah. then you get a, a parallel And there. he says, let's do that every year. You have, like, this, for all other intents and purposes, it would have felt more like a resolution to the clara's issues with the doctor Mm -hmm. by just saying she doesn't deal with them and it would almost have made more sense to say like this is an ineffable relationship and you know anyway and then we get the actual ending where santa claus saves the day again santa saves the day again so now this santa metaphor that originally was dreamed up by clara and everybody believes in like we we have we get this point where it's like okay so the doctor wants to believe in santa too even though santa is a myth from earth uh, you know and i know christmas special but still like eh. but then at the end they decide you know they want to travel together uh-huh. again and everything's and I, and i'm just sitting here like wait what like how how did this get resolved? Like what happened to all of the really emotional, weighty things that got tussled about and thrown up in the air in this episode? At the end, they were just like, "Man, that sucks. Let's just pretend it never happened and keep going." That's the Moffat way. And it's so what frustrating. Do we say? What do we say in every episode? No consequences. Say it louder, baby. No consequences. Um. So yeah. Um. And I mean, really, the only other thing that I had a problem with was, uh, and I can actually name check him because they had a commercial specifically about the character design of the of dream the, crabs. Of the, dream crab, the dream crabs, yeah. Um, which one dream crabs? I'm sorry, it's an awful name. It's better than dream chlamydia. It yeah, sure. <laughs> Two. 
in the commercial, he addresses that they had to design this creature to serve several purposes. So I understand that this was difficult for him to work with. Um, but these crabs have, like, they are face-hugging dream crabs who have mouth butts on the back of them um, that open to show the thing that they are eating for no reason other than it's scary. Um, so... In addition to all of this other stuff that just doesn't make sense to me, there's also a very literal visual character design thing that I, I just... Why would an animal that gloms onto somebody's face and is eating, which means their mouth has to be kind of like against the brain somehow, right? The face. Well, you know, they've got the little straw thingy that goes into the side of the head. Yeah. So, honestly, so, but, honestly, this bothers me. I've studied enough biology. This bothers me a little bit less than But why does the, like, their back then open up, and that's supposed to be a mouth, but the mouth opens up into what they're already digesting, so it's really, it goes straight through them, and I, it just makes no sense, and, you know, um... So again, I mean, I wanted to mention it because, like, I, like I said, there's a lot that I like in this episode, mm-hmm. but all the elements that I don't like are just so distracting. Sure. I mean, for me, I mean, just kind of big picture, I feel like this is very, you know, it's it's Moffat doing the Moffat thing, uh-huh. and the people that respond to that are going to respond to it. You know, there is nothing new here. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more I think about it, the more kind of philosophical I get about it is, you know, there are lots of things, you know, if if there was a lot of stuff here I really liked, mm-hmm. you know, we watch, we've been watching a lot of First Doctor stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, the pacing of the stories and, you know, the Doctor's kind of a dick and the Doctor doesn't do a whole lot in some episodes mm-hmm. and, you know, um, the, the logic falls apart the second you, mm-hmm. you know, but there's stuff that I really like and I'm willing to just forgive all the stuff I don't like for mm-hmm. the stuff that I like. And I think that, Whenever, you know, with all Doctor Who, you kind of get that element. You know, there's stuff I don't like about the RTD Gardener era, for sure. Mm-hmm. But there's so much stuff I like that I'm willing to forgive it. And I think that that's, you know, the people that really respond to Moffat's style of writing Doctor Who are responding to the things they like and not really paying attention to stuff they don't. Mm-hmm. And I think if you said, well, you know, <laughs> you know, if we had a Moffat fan on this episode right now mm-hmm. and we were talking to them and we said, well, this doesn't, it's like, yeah, but like Santa Claus was a lot of fun and like Nick Frost did a really great job and like I thought, yeah, I know the biology of the, you know, head crabs doesn't really well, make any and, sense, but it's kind of cool to look at. Yeah. And, like, and I've, I've seen people really hold on to the line, you know, every Christmas is last Christmas. It's a great line. I just wish the rest of the episodes supported it i mean exactly i don't think it's bad writing per se i think that it's superficial writing yeah. which i think is is bad writing but I, mm-hmm. I like i get why people like it i mean i do yeah. i really understand i just can't forgive it the stuff that i can't forget and i know? think you know and this continues to be my issue with moffat mm-hmm. um because it is a personal issue of mine because you know i i lost my mom it'll be almost 10 years ago um well it'll be 10 years ago this next coming october um and and that death really affected me and it still affects me to this day as as the loss of anyone close to you does And... and the fundamental in my opinion misunderstanding of grief the grieving process um healthy human relationships uh you know that is what continually 
offends my sensibilities and turns me off of Moffat. And, you know, if you don't feel that way, if you feel like you can identify to how he is dealing with loss and death, um, you know, maybe I'm wrong. But for me, every it just... Every person is going to have their own mm-hmm. experience of, of grief. Mm-hmm. And every person is going to have their own experience of like what character dynamics are like. Mm-hmm. The real thing that I want to put this podcast out here for is to express the... Because there aren't many podcasts that will kind of have fundamental criticisms of some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a big voice out there. And I hope that I hope that people find this and go, well, I'm not alone in not liking this element of it. You know? Or, you know, I would... Again, we say it like every episode. I would love to hear from a Moffat fan who can go through and talk to me and tell me where they think maybe that he is taking this more seriously and maybe mm-hmm. I am missing stuff. Um, but yeah, it's... I think it is more frustrating in episodes like this where there are so many elements that I like and it feels like, man, this could have easily been such a better episode. I mean, I, to, to me, and we're, we're over an hour now, so we need to start wrapping up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, we can make it last as long as we want, but I don't think people want to listen Mm-mm. to us much longer. No, um, I'm, I'm getting done. Um, congratulations on getting through all those notes, by the way. I'm amazed. You did hey. a great job. Uh, he acts like I haven't taught freshman English for like five years well, plus. Yeah, you know, it's a thing. Yeah. Um, for me, I think that the big picture is that there are fundamental issues that you and I run into with the Moffat era, mm-hmm. and that almost every episode has those. Mm-hmm. And so we just keep talking about the same things because, well, this is just a fundamental problem we have. You know, and it's you funny know? because it makes me think of what Dominic Glenn said at. Chicago TARDIS and that what he misses most about the music Mm -hmm. and Doctor Who but like I mean in classic Who, but you can real and he he did broaden this out he said you know each episode of Doctor Who used to have different directors composers and like so you could feel people um bringing their personality to it Mm -hmm. and you know Moffat when Moffat has or since Moffat has been showrunner, it has felt really one note. With the occasional and episode here and there that the truth is that there are eras of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. like the third Doctor run. You know, you right. have Barry Barry Letts and um, oh, I forget his name, but you, I'm not a real fan. You see, I'm a bad fan. I can mm-hmm. you know, uh, Tara Sticks, Barry Letts and Tara Sticks basically ran the whole thing. Like mm-hmm. every episode is basically these two guys. Just you know, mm-hmm. you know. And so it does feel really samey. And mm-hmm. one of the criticisms that people have about the third Doctor era, and the one that I have, is that mm-hmm. it feels really samey over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Um, other eras feel a lot more schizophrenic in terms of like what they're trying to say, and mm-hmm. the character dynamics start to get a little, uh, you know, iffy because you're mm-hmm. not really feeling like it's consistently written from episode to episode. Mm-hmm. And so that's also, you know, you can go too far the other yeah, way. Yeah, and so like I, I'm, I'm trying to get to the point where I'm not like Moffat is evil. Um, there is a history for this in Doctor Who, and, you know, we keep watching because eventually the Doctor will be, you know, it'll it'll work for us again. There and it's lo- not that it doesn't work for us now, it just doesn't work as well as others do. Yeah. Anyway. Um, That's my, my last note. Yeah, wrapping up here, uh, just one more question. Are you excited that Claire's coming back for a whole other series? You know, I don't fucking know. I don't... <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of people the, who, who have had I, the there's, criticism. There's been a short interview, or, sh- like, the one quote I have heard from Jenna Coleman 
is she's like, you know, it just didn't feel resolved. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to stay. And I wanted to feel resolved. And I kind of want to ask Jenna Coleman, like, honey, do you really think it's ever going to get resolved? Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, maybe it will. Maybe maybe that is the promise that Moffat made her so that she would stay on for another season. Or... I, I kind of interpret it as, like, I mean, I think Jenna Coleman had a bad experience in Series 7. Like, uh-huh. you know, being the impossible girl and kind of having, not really having a character to play. Mm-hmm. I think that Series 8 was probably a better, like, she mm-hmm. gets to kind of go through an arc. She gets mm-hmm. to actually... Well, and she's had and some she's really great in series eight. Yeah, she's um, had some wonderful acting moments. A lot of people complain that series eight kind of feels like Clara Who and that the Doctor should be more centered. I mean, I don't care one way or the other no. as long as the stories are good. And, and, and I mean, there is a part of me based on her storyline that really wishes the Doctor had let Clara die because she wanted to. And I have issues with that, like yeah. even saying that out loud. Right, yeah. Um, but... Having said that, I am curious to see where they go with her character. Yeah. Because once you get to that point where, I mean, they basically said Clara is about to commit suicide and the doctor won't let her. Um, You can see that as a positive thing. You can see that as a negative thing. But either way, they should be addressing it. And not treating it as just a thing. So if they address it, I... I will be super interested in seeing what happens to Clara. Mm-hmm. If they act like it never happened, <laughs> which is probably what's going to happen. Yeah, we'll we'll just put the the ellip the metaphorical ellipsis. We we still don't know how they got out of the uh, time stream thing at the end of series seven. So oh, yeah. anyway. All right, you can find all of our episodes. You can check us out on Facebook or iTunes. Just search for Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story, and we come up pretty quickly. You can find all our episodes at oispaceman.libsyn.com. That's oispaceman.libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Daniel E. Harper, although I'm on Twitter more than Tumblr these days. Uh, Shana, you can find her at Inkyosa, that's I-N-K-Y-O-S-A. And you can email us, and we'd love to do a letter show at some point, Mm -hmm. at... Podcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. any more thoughts mm, see you next year yeah well, well uh, no. our next our next episode yeah. uh, we've actually again we've recorded two oh, so right. in our next episode you're going to hear us talk about aliens of london slash world war three and we have a special guest on that episode so that's going to be awesome and in the next one the daleks master plan yeah so uh fun times coming up we hope you'll uh, join us uh, more in 2015 and uh, other than that the balcony is closed Bye-bye. Bye. Love you, baby. Love you.